Education is the silver bullet. We hear it all the time. Get education right and the neighborhood revitalization will follow. The thing is, in every community, everything is intertwined with everything. There is no silver bullet, no single thing to get right to unlock the puzzle of a neighborhood. It's not that simple, unfortunately. Eddie Moriton of Lyft Orlando explains it well. You know, crime is 21 times the national crime rate, so the natural response is, well, we gotta do something about crime, and then you realize that 70% of the crimes are committed by high school dropouts, and it dawns on you, well, crime's just a symptom. Let's go fix education. Uh, and then we learned that, you know, at our school, we had 100% of children in third grade were turning over year over year. So we didn't even have the same kids by fourth grade because there was so much transiency at home. Uh, but you try to address that. Mom can't afford a better place because she can't get a better job because she doesn't have a better education or better skills, and you're back to square one. Education needs to be part of a holistic strategy that recognizes all of these intersections in a community. There are a lot of ways to approach education, and many of the most popular approaches are more detrimental to achieving holistic community revitalization than they are helpful. Ones that fail to recognize the circumstances of the neighborhood and its parents and students are doomed to fail. One mom put it best. She said, look, I've got two jobs, three kids in three different schools. Which one is it you want me to hang out at? Because I don't have that much time. And when I go, I kind of feel like I'm getting scolded uh, for things that I just don't have the ability to do. Every child deserves to get a quality education that prepares them for the future. But every child comes from different circumstances, and they deserve systems and support that are flexible and adaptable to meet the needs of each and every student, rather than a cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all system. There are many ways to achieve that adaptability, but that needs to be the ultimate end goal. Welcome to This Is Community, a podcast series by Purposeful Communities. In the last episode, we saw what transformational change feels like in a neighborhood. In the next two episodes, we'll look at two different ways to approach neighborhood education reform that have successfully matched the community's unique circumstances and needs. This episode, we'll look at a charter school in Atlanta, Georgia, and the next episode, we'll look at a public school in Omaha, Nebraska. This is episode four, you can't expect a school to outperform its neighborhood. Carol Naughton is the president of Purpose Built Communities. I am the daughter of a public school teacher, and I am the mother of a public school teacher, and I could not be prouder of each of them. Carol takes education personally, and she knows how important a great school is for a community. I, I want every child in America to have access to a great school, and ideally that school is in their neighborhood. And so you don't have to spend a lot of time on transportation, and so you can take advantage of all the different kinds of activities that are offered through the school, both uh, before school and after school and on weekends. If you live 20 miles away and rely on public transportation to get you to the school, you might be there for the six and a half hours that school's in session, but it becomes really difficult to participate in all those other things that make a school experience rich for a young person. So, so a neighborhood school makes it easier for everybody to be able to participate in all of the kinds of things that are offered. The other thing that a neighborhood school does is it um, creates a sense of pride and a sense of place that very few other things can do. Maybe there are other things out there that I'm not thinking of, but there's nothing like a high quality school to bring people together in a neighborhood. Um, everybody wants to root for their children together. It's a beautiful thing. Um, of all three of our pillars, they're all important. 
but it is education that sustains both the human capital revitalization as well as the real estate revitalization. Um, it's really hard for a school to outperform its community for a long period of time. Occasionally you find a school that has a um, charismatic, excellent principal that helps lift a school um, to extraordinary levels during the term of that pr principal's leadership. But when the next leader comes in, the school typically moves back to kind of the medium of what that school district is. What we're trying to do is create a virtuous cycle here that respects and um, builds on the uh, evolution of the school and the power of a positive neighborhood experience. Uh, it's really exciting when you start to see kids across incomes and race go to the same school, the same neighborhood school, because it builds not just great academic achievement, but it builds the kind of social capital that's absolutely essential for the neighborhood to be healthy and for kids to reach their full potential. But just having one great school isn't enough, Carol says. There needs to be a coherent and planned track, a pipeline that will help carry each student from the cradle to college. The cradle through college education pipeline concept is really important because we know um, from research around the country where kids typically fall out of education, where they typically drop out. It often happens in the places where there are connections or missing links, if you will, between one part of an education system and another. So between fifth grade and sixth grade where kids transition from elementary to middle school or from eighth grade to ninth grade. Lots of kids across the country drop out of school as a result of that transition from eighth grade to ninth grade not being effective. So, I mean, we think about it, we're losing kids at 13, 14, 15 years of age. So this idea of a pipeline recognizes that children are not fungible and that seats in schools have to be more than seats. They have to be part of a pipeline and you need your schools to be thinking about um, are we preparing our young people for success in the next part of their pipeline? Not just did they meet the requirements that the state says that they need to meet um, in a particular grade and subject, but are they ready socially, emotionally, um, academically to make that move to the next, next piece? Before she passed away in 2012, Ms. Davis was the president of the East Lake Meadows Tenants Association. She had lived in the housing projects there and was a driving force behind the revitalization of her neighborhood, along with philanthropist Tom Cousins and the newly created Eastlake Foundation and the Atlanta Housing Authority, which was led by Renee Glover. Miss Davis was a force of nature. Um, she was a strong, um, strong leader. She knew what she wanted to accomplish. I didn't appreciate what she wanted to accomplish in those early days, but as I got to know her better, I understood what her dream was for the community. But Miss Davis was a strong and, um, and um, in some ways defiant leader because she, she wasn't gonna let anybody take advantage of her and her community. And um, so she put everybody through their paces and through their tests to see if they were going to be a worthy partner um, for this revitalization. Um, I didn't know if I would pass the test, honestly, um, but um, over time we built a really deep personal relationship. And um, I admire Miss Davis. She's one of the people who are more influential in my life than anybody I know. Um, I really grew to love her. Um, she was my friend, my mentor, um, and, and really somebody who I have nothing but 
you know, incredibly fond memories of and, and deep affection and respect for. In 1996, Carol went to the first planning committee meeting chaired by Ms. Davis. And those initial meetings were tough, tougher than Carol had expected. People were mad. People had been poorly treated, not just by the housing authority, but by virtually every single institution that was supposed to support um, people who lived in East Lake Meadows, whether it was the government, whether it were uh, the school system, whether it were churches, whether it was the financial system, everybody who was supposed to be supporting that community had really let them down over time. And um, so, of course, we had to earn their trust. I heard a great quote the other day from uh, Thomas Friedman that he attributed to Dove Seidman, and it was that trust is the only legal performance enhancing drug. And I really like that. Because what that, that reminded me that back in the day of these relationships in East, like we had to build trust. And we couldn't get to the point of really performing at high levels together until we had built that trust. And that just took time and it took perseverance. Um, it took um, um, leaps of faith, both on the part of the residents and the part of the housing authority and the part of that new organization founded by Tom Cousins called the Eastlake Foundation. So it was a, a long, hard process, but we had to build the trust before we could really do the planning for the revitalization. The ultimate goal of the revitalization of Eastlake Meadows was to build social capital in the neighborhood. The social capital that you see is, is about resiliency. It's about efficacy. It's about being able to advocate for your own community. And, and that's why we get so excited when we see um, friendships forming, relationships forming, alliances forming between people across race and income in the neighborhoods where we work. Because then those folks can go advocate downtown for policy changes that they might need to protect their neighborhood or take their neighborhood to the next level. And without that social capital, it's really difficult for people to advocate for themselves and their community. So that social capital piece is really important, that sense of self-efficacy, that sense of, yeah, we can do this together, is kind of the end game at the end of the day. It's about power and about helping communities access power themselves. Many of the families and households in Eastlake Meadows were headed by women, many single mothers with school-aged children. Building relationships and trust with them was crucial. Actually doing that hard work of going out and recruiting people, helping parents understand why they want their children to stay in the pipeline, because it's not always obvious to a parent. Um, so you have to take the time to go out and re recruit them and explain to them why they want their, children, their child in this pipeline and what the advantages are of participating in that way. From talking with the residents and hearing what their frustrations were with the current moment and what they wanted in the community, the planning committee drew up a plan to take to the resident association that included what eventually became the three pillars of the purpose-built communities model, mixed income housing, a cradle to college education pipeline, and community wellness initiatives. When the plan was put to a vote, they didn't know which way it would go. I will tell you, Ms. Davis was so brave that day. Um, there must have been three or four hundred people in the community center. She was calling vote for a vote, a vote on a transformational plan that would require almost everybody to move off site for at least a little while. And while it's easy to look from outside the neighborhood and say, well, these homes are in really bad shape, they were still people's homes. And it required enormous bravery, I thought, 
and trust on the part of the largely female-headed households who were there representing um, themselves and who were going to vote yay or nay on whether we move forward. In the meeting, there was arguing from people on both sides. Nobody could get a good read if the plan would pass or not. And then Ms. Davis took the vote. And it was overwhelmingly in favor of moving forward. And a lot of that was due to Ms. Davis's personal strength and leadership and her work in the community helping people understand what it would be. But it was also, I think, a lot of bravery on the part of mothers who wanted something better for their children. And so, you know, again, I got to go home every night to a different neighborhood, a different place. It's Miss Davis and the other women who lived in East Lake Meadows who stood up basically and said, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. We can do better. That was an amazing moment and um, to be a part of and to be, you know, really a fly on the wall watching Miss Davis and the women of East Lake Meadows stand up and say, we're going to do better for our children and for us. With the buy-in and approval of the community members, Carol and the Eastlake Foundation jumped into implementing the new revitalization plan, and they could immediately see that something transformative was taking shape. Mixed-income housing worked from day one. It worked in the sense of people across a broad range of incomes were living side by side. Um, people, uh, public housing residents' incomes were going up as a result of living in a mixed income neighborhood that supported their personal journeys to uh, self-sufficiency. But we didn't reach that social capital level that we had always aspired to until this neighborhood school became a high-performing school that attracted people across income and not just from the apartment complex but from the surrounding single-family neighborhood that's when we really reached a place um, of building social capital in a way that is going to help everybody who goes to that school not just the low-income kids but it's going to help everybody the old drew elementary school in east lake meadows served really only kids who lived in east lake meadows the kids who lived in the slightly better off single family neighborhood across the street went to another elementary school, East Lake Elementary School. Um, and over time, um, Drew Elementary School had um, fallen further and further behind. Um, only about 5% of fifth graders could pass the state math test. The longer young people remained at Drew Elementary School, the further behind their more affluent peers they fell. And so it was an example, again, of a school not being able to outperform the neighborhood that it existed in. When the residents of the old Eastlake Meadows housing projects were temporarily relocated as the new villages of Eastlake development was being built, the school district closed Drew Elementary and decided to not reopen it because it had become such a lost cause in the minds of the school board members. And so they said, we're not gonna bring a new school back in this community. And that our plan required a new school. And not just did the plan require it, but we all knew that we needed a great school in the neighborhood, a school that would help kids who were years behind catch up, and a school that would be so good it would also attract people with choice to the neighborhood. We knew the school was gonna be the, the key element to it. Shirley Franklin, who would later become mayor of Atlanta, got involved and helped navigate the politics of the city of Atlanta and the Atlanta public school system for a new experimental school in Eastlake. This new school, they argued, would be a win-win for the city and APS. 
The Eastlake Foundation would raise all of the money from philanthropists to build a new state-of-the-art school and support the Y to build a new facility in an unserved neighborhood. The school and the Y would focus on community-based programming. The school would also share lessons learned with Atlanta public schools and teachers, and it would help the other schools in the neighborhood. But the Atlanta public school system wouldn't budge. So Franklin and Greg Giarnelli, who led the Eastlake Foundation, looked at other ways to bring a school to the community. The Charter Schools Act of 1998 serendipitously dropped in their laps. And out of the blue, the Georgia legislature passed the Charter School Enabling Legislation. And we all looked at each other and said, let's do a charter school, what's a charter school? In that order. The difference between a traditional public school and a charter school is autonomy and flexibility. State and federal laws allow charter schools to be more innovative and experimental, but that freedom comes with higher expectations and accountability. Charter schools have to prove that they're serving the needs of the students and community they're serving. The team in Eastlake liked the idea and drafted a charter school proposal and took it to the Atlanta Public School Board. It was an uphill battle trying to convince them to take a chance, especially because this was one of the first charter schools proposed in the state and in the city. Many were immediately defensive and skeptical, but the board was eventually convinced. It's important to note how the advocacy of the parents and residents, former residents of Eastlake Meadows who are now living in the villages of Eastlake, um, and some who were still relocated off-site during this development period, their advocacy was essential to getting that, um, that vote passed. Without um, Lucia Clark, for example, who went downtown and advocated at the board meeting that give us a chance, we've got to do something better, I don't think that the APS board would have taken that chance back then. So um, again, the residents advocating for themselves, advocating for what they wanted to see in their community was a key part of this. And, and frankly, that advocacy was part of what had come up as a result of the planning process, right? The sense that, yeah, together we can go down and we can get things done. And, and that was a really important outcome, I think, of the, of the planning process and of the revitalization as well. Drew Charter School opened its doors in a temporary building in August 2000. And that first year we had 250 kids from uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. And we were the lowest performing school in the Atlanta public school system. 69 out of 69 elementary schools. And we were kind of devastated because we were, we were arrogant enough to think that, yeah, give us a year, we'll get everybody whipped up into shape. Um, but we realized during the course of that year that this is really hard, complex work and it was going to take time. And so the next year we moved into the new building back on the Eastlake campus and we more than doubled the size of the school. We went from kindergarten into sixth grade and had over 600 young people in the school. So it was really starting a school two years in a row. Well, at that point then, we started to see slow but steady improvement. The school got bigger every year as we added seventh grade and then eighth grade. Um, test scores slowly started to move up, which are only one, but an important measure of student progress. Um, we saw more kids choosing to come to Drew because nobody is zoned to go to that charter school. You have to opt in. Um, we, we saw better outcomes year after year after year. It wasn't easy work, but they saw the slow progress and adjusted their expectations. This kind of change and growth doesn't happen overnight. No matter how good you think you are, 
as a group of educators, if you come in and you think you can change everybody's performance in a year, you're lying. Um, or you're just naive. Um, and I like to think people are naive. Year over year, they made mid-course corrections based on what they saw and were learning. Finding the right teachers to do this type of work in this type of an innovative and experimental environment took some time. When we first started hiring teachers, I think we had kind of a barbell group, so kind of a heavy on both ends. Um, one end were a group of teachers who were excited about being part of this um, new kind of community, really school-centered community development. They were all in, but they were almost all really young, so they didn't have a lot of experience, but they were enthusiastic. The other group were largely teachers who uh, liked the idea of being in what they perceived as an unregulated um, or less regulated education environment. And what we learned, frankly, from them is that if you hadn't been successful in a regulated environment, in a traditional district, you were probably not going to be successful in our world either. So over time, we got better at identifying talent and understanding how to hire people and developed a really robust hiring process that uh, really sorted the wheat from the chaff. And I think that was a really important piece of what we collectively learned together, that getting the right adults on that bus were gonna be essential to creating a great educational experience for children who attended the school. And the charter school model worked really well for this very reason. As a charter school, Drew can decide how it wants to spend its resources. So we've made decisions at different points during Drew's evolution to spend uh, more money on social workers, on counselors and other support personnel, and as a result, result have slightly larger class sizes in order to provide the support that children need. We could make that decision every year based on what the school population needed, and that evolved over time. At the same time, because the revitalization was happening in the neighborhood, and we were very, we being all of us, were very intentional about the connection between the school and the community, particularly about the, the connection between the school and the villages of Eastlake and the early learning partners. We were able to support families in different ways, um, support children as itty bitty little geniuses with social emotional learning. So when they reached through charter school, um, they had um, not just the academic. Um, they were not just academically ready for elementary school, they were ready socially and emotionally for moving into kindergarten and um, up, up the school grades. So it's, it's really being part of that um, revitalization effort and having the flexibility to decide how we wanted to use our resources that gets us to the point where the teachers can focus on teaching and um, teaching in lots of different ways in order to be able to move uh, children forward. Purpose-Built Communities uses a shorthand to capture what the end goal looks like for this cradle-to-college education pipeline. We want to create neighborhoods that at the end of the day produce healthy, economically mobile young people. And I look at the kids at Drew Charter School, particularly in the high school, and I say, yep, healthy, economically mobile young people, kids who are ready to do anything. The kids who already started businesses in high school that they're taking with them when they go to college and moving them forward. Uh, we're seeing kids think about what college is right for them. So we've got kids going to Gwinnett Tech who are learning how to be Mercedes-Benz 
uh, mechanics and who will start at making $80,000 a year when they finish. And we've got kids in the Ivy League. Uh, so kids are really thinking about what do they want to do and how do they want to take their education and move on with their life. And it's so exciting to see. My friend Doug Judy, who runs the Build Healthy Places Network, quoted one of his mentors as saying, you know, all babies are born with bright eyes. And our goal in community development is making sure they retain that brightness and everybody is a bright-eyed kid. And when I walk through our community in Eastlake and at Drew Charter School, I see bright eyes everywhere. And that's kind of what I look for when I'm in our network member communities all over the country. I'm looking for those bright eyes because when we see that, we know we're, we're on fire. It, you know, it's been fun watching as we've added a high school to the education pipeline in Eastlake. Um, seeing young people who, after eighth grade, historically had gone on to other schools, staying within uh, the Eastlake community and seeing them thrive. Carol thinks and talks regularly about Bethany Wright and Jeffrey Martin, both part of the first eighth grade class at Drew Charter School before the high school was established. After finishing eighth grade, Jeff got a scholarship to the Paideia School, a prestigious private school in Atlanta. I remember um, standing with one of Jeff's favorite teachers after Jeff was in ninth grade and he had written her a letter and she was reading the letter to me. It was from uh, Dr. Bowen, uh, or Ureth Bowen. And Ureth read the letter to me and it said basically, I got my first B of my life. Now I know what the standard is and I will never get another B. And I thought, man, that, that's really cool. Now Jeff has gone on, he graduated from Padilla, took advantage of lots of different opportunities that he had there. He went to uh, Wharton, the Wharton School at um, University of Pennsylvania undergrad, uh, and now has founded, co-founded an organization called Honor Code, which is teaching kids how to code uh, in, and embedding coding in the traditional school. And they really launched at Drew Charter School, and now they're all over Atlanta and winning awards all over the country. So you, know, you, you, you see um, a kid like Jeff, who very easily could have been left behind, thriving, and now making a difference as an adult um, for children who are in Atlanta public schools and other schools all over the state and really all over the country to, to have this new literacy. Because now they say if you can't, coding is the new literacy. If you can't code, you're, you're, out, uh, you're out of it. So Jeff is figuring out how do we make sure kids in inner city neighborhoods have access to coding and social emotional learning and how teachers embed coding in their traditional classes so it's not just an add-on class. It's happening in social studies and math and science and language arts. Um, Bethany Wright, on the other hand, uh, another real smart kid. Um, I remember really the first time I talked to Bethany was when I was chaperoning a, um, a trip to Camp Twin Lakes and it was for kids who had met their reading goals uh, during the course of the year in the Accelerated Reader Program. Bethany blew everybody else out of the water. I, I looked around one afternoon at camp and I saw Bethany sitting on a bench in the trees um, reading. And I thought, this is a kid after my own true heart because that's what I love to do. And so we went over and we were talking. She was really shy and quiet and um, thoroughly engaged in her book and probably would have rather been reading than talking to me. But she was very gracious and we chatted for a while. And uh, so Bethany went off to high school. She went to Georgia Tech. She graduated at the top of her class and then came back and volunteered at Drew as a VISTA worker. Um, and now she is working on different skills and, and uh, 
I think wants to become a teacher eventually and continues to work at least part-time at Drew Charter School in the high school around technology and uh, kind of STEAM related programs. So she's part of the engineering program and other things, doing really cool work. That brightness, that vibrancy is still there for the students who attend and graduate from Drew Charter School and for everyone who's a part of the Eastlake community. In the next episode of This Is Community, we'll compare what we saw at Drew Charter School to Howard Kennedy Elementary in Omaha. You know, we pay so much attention to making sure a kid has a smile on their face and they feel safe and they feel loved and that's great, you know. Um, but we have to pay that same level of attention, if not more, to like, is this child being prepared for what the world inevitably is, is, is bringing to their doorstep? So um, we spend a lot of time focusing on, you know, where our kids are going. Listen to This Is Community wherever podcasts are available or on purposebuiltcommunities.org slash podcast, where you'll find more information on the Purpose Built model and the stories from this podcast. This podcast is created in partnership with HL Strategy, our executive producers are Aton Davidson, Howard Lawley, and Sherry Crawley. Our producer, director, and editor is Brady Hummel. Mixing and mastering is by Matt Honkinen, and our music is from Pitchwire. If you like this series, be sure to subscribe and share it. I'm Alexandra Wiggins for Purpose Built Communities, and this is Community. Community.